This is actually better, I think, with sound because I prefer to call podcast audio beans. And, uh, <laughs> this sounds more like an audio beam. Oh, yeah, so this is better because it, it sounds worse. Yeah. yeah. It's got a little set. Yeah, no, and it's, and it's like the, uh, and it's like the, uh, the signals that are coming through the television screen. Uh, you know, when they when they when they break into the uh, when they when they break into the alien signal. You know, Jim, I was about to say that exact same metaphor, and I feel like uh, we're in for a conversation of of that happening over and over and over. And over. <laughs> <laughs> Mediocre minds think alike. <laughs> Our impulses are being redirected. We are living in an artificially induced state of consciousness that resembles sleep. Oh, goddamn hacker, that second damn night that asshole's cut in. Well, how are we going to work this? Uh, Are you going to be tossing out questions, or are we... Well, here's my thought. Um, I'm not planning on tossing out questions. I did write an intro, and I was hoping that we can kind of just be loose and live, and uh, if necessary... I can pick up questions on the spot. Does that sound okay. all right? Yeah, that's cool with me. All right. You guys ready to go? Mm-hmm. Whenever. Okay. So good evening and welcome to Cinema Death Cult, a eulogy for the death of motion picture. Tonight, I'm discussing John Carpenter's 1988 film, They Live. It's been described as a science fiction action movie and as a documentary. I have two of my favorite writers in the world joining me to unwrap this. Alex Zajcek, journalist and author of the books, the Gilded Rage and Out of the Ooze, the story of Tom Price, and Jim Knevel, author of memoirs and novels, including Slackjaw, Ruining It for Everybody, Movie's Time to Shine, and Unplugging Philco. Thanks for joining me. And, well, and uh, Jim, why are we talking about They Live? Where uh, do we start? Well, <laughs> we're talking about They Live because They Live never goes away. <laughs> so it's, it's always true and it gets truer. Yeah. And this, it's a movie made in 1988, but it's, it's, a lot of it seems to be more, themed, like I think at the time it seemed really weird and singular and one of a kind, and I think now a lot of it sounds like, a lot of it's stuff seems kind of like everyday speech and just regular beliefs. Is that, you know, about right? Well, yeah, I mean, there, there are a lot of, uh, there are a lot of things that went into it. I mean, okay. I think just as far as, uh, uh, just in terms of um, history and political philosophy, and I mean, obviously, it was a movie made at the end uh, of the Reagan administration, yeah. right? The second Reagan administration, and yeah. uh, and uh, that you know, uh, Carpenter plays a uh, you, you put a special emphasis on that. But uh, prior to that, I mean, we we could go back to the uh, we could go back to the original short story. Yeah. From uh, 1963, um, yeah. which itself was not that original. Um, um, uh, now, Alex, I know. <laughs> should we bring up the 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 the, the Ray Nelson short story from 1963? You described it as being written by a 12 year old on a napkin, mm-hmm. um, which is, I think, I think accurate. That's one of the things I like about it, and the, yeah. certainly the core the core of uh, of Carpenter's movie is there in the story, yeah. but there, but even then, it was not that original an idea. Uh, yeah. The idea of aliens being among us, yeah, um, in positions of uh, in positions of power, and you know, one or two people being able to see through 
uh, the veneer and recognize them. I mean, yeah. uh, the, the puppet masters, you know, Robert Heinlein's 1951 novel and um, um, uh, William Cameron, Cameron Menzies' uh, 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 Invaders from Mars in 53, and, uh, uh, you know, Invasion of the Body Snatchers yeah. uh, um, and all those things. But uh, um, actually, I kind of like that story. I like that story a bunch just for its just for its uh primitive simplicity. Yeah. You know, there, there's no character development, there's no <laughs> deep deep psychological, you know, insights into into the players involved. Yeah. But, um, yeah. Uh, eight o'clock uh, in the morning is the title, right? Right, right. Uh-huh. I'm sorry. Yeah, eight o'clock in the morning. Yeah. And uh you know, it's about a guy who who's at this um uh uh, nightclub, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, hypnotist show. Oh, right, hypnotist, yeah. The hypnotist ends the show by saying awake. And, uh, and our main character, uh, uh, George Nada, wakes up a little too much and, uh, and can suddenly see the alien in the midst yeah. of, uh, of everybody else. And then he starts killing them. And yeah. then he dies. <laughs> and that's the story. It's about five minutes, it's about five pages long. Yeah, and there's a ticking there's a ticking time bomb in it because he gets a message like you're gonna die tomorrow at eight o'clock. Right. Um, but uh, that's basically it. And uh, but Carpenter brought a whole lot more to it when he yeah. uh, when he made uh, the movie. Um, you know, along with those all those earlier uh, things. I mean, there are, there are elements of uh, you know his own films. You know, like yeah. uh, like the thing, yeah. um, in which you have an alien who can disguise himself, um, and uh, and also a film that uh, he did not direct, but he co-wrote and produced, which was uh, Halloween Three: Season oh, yeah. of the Witch, uh, where you have this, you know, a, 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 an evil, destructive signal coming through a television. Yeah. Um, and uh, but then there are situationists. There are other uh, you know, uh, uh, political things that work there, because yeah. it was uh, it was certainly a, it was certainly an attack on Reaganomics and what Reaganomics yeah. had wrought. Yeah, yeah, and that seems pretty overt to me. But I, I want to get back to something you said earlier. You said like that it was the short story was not an original idea. These other things, right, that you named have been around. Like what what about it was different what about it made it unique if anything you are we talking about the short story yeah it's either the short story we don't have to stay on it too long but i was curious right something about the um, is it the I short honestly story? Sorry, i honestly it. don't know i honestly don't know what <laughs> made it terribly right. unique it was it was pretty bad yeah, yeah. can i take um, a stab at that pardon? yeah sure what i would say is I don't know if it's in the story or the comic book version from, what was it, 86? It was like, 80, the, yeah, it was 86. Where the aliens are referred to as Fascinator, which okay. seemed to me the the hook that was new, where mm-hmm. the aliens weren't just in human form, but they were using entertainment culture, television, propaganda to cast the spell on right. the subject population. And yeah. the, the use of the, the capital F, Fascinators, struck me as kind of the through line to the movie and uh, yeah. the focus on TV and uh, consumer culture. Right. And also in, and that, and that also works together if you're, uh, uh, you know, w- uh, in terms of, um, 
like the situation is, you know, the 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 you know, their argument that we were all just living through screens. Yeah. And that we were essentially hypnotized by these things and could not uh, experience life directly. Yeah. That we were all experiencing through movie screens, TV screens, through the windows of automobiles. You know, we all there was always this distance between our between ourselves and you know the society, the spectacle. Yeah. Um, One thing I was thinking rewatching it uh, recently was just how quaint the idea of sort of unidirectional screens had become and it was right. nostalgic for the age where you knew where it was coming from and like which direction it was going and, and you uh-huh. could you could ignore it you could <laughs> smash it you could right. critique in, it and in now fact, I was, oh i'm sorry go ahead and now the world of screens everywhere in your pocket and yeah you know there is the illusion of sort of or reality of interactivity which is also you know Something of an illusion because you think you're not just a subject anymore receiving these these ads from from the tower, right. but you're part of some web. Uh-huh. Um, and that world is um, there was there's something nice about it because a film like this could draw attention to the source in a way that now it's just so muddied and, and um, confused that yeah. it's, it's much harder to do. But you know what's really interesting on that, and it's just a coincidence, but the first, um, when Roddy Roddy Piper puts on the glasses the first time, pretty sure the first billboard he looks at is um, a computer ad. And it says, uh, I think it's like Obey, one of the first, and it's a home computer ad. And the graphic in it looks like it's connecting to other computers. So it's just this happy accident that there's somehow this, hint of maybe there's like the internet and yeah. you know, the chatter and the uh, social media. Yeah. Two other tech details that I noticed on my most recent viewing. One, we are now in the age of iPhone watches. So people are lifting up their arms to, to, uh, mutter. I've got one uh-huh. they can see. <laughs> they call the cops. Yeah. It's yeah. actually happening now. And also he anticipates surveillance drugs. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Not the first necessarily, but you know, it's, it's a pretty prominent feature that, that didn't exist at the time. I don't think yet. Yeah. Right. No, though, that, actually, I was, I was thinking earlier also of, uh, back in 2009, when we, when we had the transfer, the nationwide transfer, transfer to, uh, digital television. Yeah. Signal. You know, that forced people, like myself, who, uh, who did not have digital TVs or digital cable hookups or anything else, to go out and buy things. <laughs> In order to keep, uh, in order to keep watching. Yeah. Um, and, uh, uh, and then a lot of people, well, rare, not a lot of people, a few people just decided to give up on TV at that point completely. Yeah. And now it seems there's a lot of broadcasting and it is not single sourced, obviously. Like people aren't mm-hmm. just watching TV. You're watching a million little things. But I think that despite all that, the, the film, Still works really well. I mean, there's nothing. It really about does. It. Yeah, yeah. And why do you think it works so much? Uh, again, it's a film that can, excuse me, interpreted. I know uh, in so many different ways. I yeah. mean, if you if you look around at people talking about the film, yeah. uh, everybody has their own interpretation. Given yeah. you know uh, throughout the decades and uh, throughout the changing. Uh, social structures. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's, it's something, and that's, and that in itself is, uh, is the sign of, uh, of a real work of art. 
yeah. when you know something can be interpreted in so many different you know radically different ways. I mean, yeah. Carpenter has his own yeah. uh, idea, but what the what an artist has to say about his own work is uh, pretty much irrelevant. You know, what what matters is how everybody else sees it. Everybody interprets it in their own way. I yeah. mean, you you uh, were uh, mentioned the the, the uh, David Ike, yeah, um, in his way, and you know he said it's a documentary, and, and uh, um, I saw a movie. It's called They Live. You you've seen that, and, and I I could see that it was accurate at the time in its themes. But since I've begun to understand about this Moon Matrix, absolutely, it is far beyond accurate. Uh, Carpenter said it's a documentary. Yeah. Um, the the uh, the neo Nazis say it's a documentary. <laughs> yeah. Um, so. Uh, and, and the neo-Nazis evidently said that so often that uh, Carpenter had to say, "No, it's not." And so right? Yeah, he he did. But you know what? It's a pointless thing for him to do. I mean, of course yeah. he had to he had to do it, but it's not going to change anything. Yeah, They're I can still... understand. Sorry, go ahead. No, no, please, you. I was just going to say I can understand why uh, neo-Nazis with a very narrow focus on, say, international Jewry, uh-huh. the Jewish plot could read into They Live uh, uh-huh. as their movie, but not just sort of general garden variety, white power, white nationalists, because the film is, one of the things that hits you over the head immediately is the multiracial cast. And right. Sort of, I mean, you got Mexicans, blacks, whites, like uh-huh. basically facing the same um, enemy and, and coming together. In uh, right. you know a very hammy way, and uh, I, I can't imagine being a racist and thinking this is my movie. Right, but you know what? I think I think uh, they are uh, of a mindset where they can ignore certain things. Um, <laughs> you know, they could. You know, they uh, can see a character like uh, like Roddy Piper, you know, playing Nada, yeah. as this um, uh, hardworking white guy. Yeah, who yeah. is uh, who is unemployed, but still believes in the American dream. Yeah, um, but uh, but is you know finds himself and all these other people who are unemployed um, under the control of these uh, you know these quote unquote aliens or Jews. Yeah, um, and the uh, I mean I think for them I think for the I think for the neo Nazis the uh, the 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 uh, Important scene is the one where he stumbles into the uh, uh, the uh, uh, stockholders meeting, mm. oh. or, or the white uh, you know the the, the the black tie. Yeah, right? the, where the, where we the learn that, party exactly. Yeah. yeah, where you know we learn that you know those people who collaborate with uh, <laughs> with the aliens will do very very well for themselves. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which, but that, I don't, so, okay, so that's the key scene for the neo-Nazi, for right. the white supremacist. But we are, we're also talking about, um, Zizek, the, right. the, the communist uh, guy, the communist philosopher. Either put on these glasses or start eating that trash can. I already am eating from the trash can all the time. The name of this trash can is ideology. And he was, he's a big fan of this movie, as are a lot of, like, you know, Marxists. Uh, and their, I think that their important scene is probably the, the, the scene where Rowdy Roddy Piper puts on the glasses. 
for the first time, and it, you know, it's like you see his dollar bills, and it's like this is your god. This is your god. Yeah. So that's when I, I and well, for I mean, let's, do you mind talking about that interpretation a little bit too? No, I mean, I, I think again, I think that's 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 another very valid one. Yeah. That uh, that has struck a lot of people, um, uh, perhaps even more. Um, but yeah, the the idea of um, of kind of seeing through ideology yeah. to the reality of the situation um, and realizing that you know we're all screwed um, <laughs> because of uh, you know the, we have this wealth that's being concentrated in fewer and fewer hands. Yeah. Uh, and how are we going to go, you know, how are we going to get back yeah. to, uh, you know, any kind of, any kind of, uh, humanity? And one thing I, 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 I rewatched it for this podcast. One thing I really enjoyed about it is just, it, it tells its story very bluntly, I feel. Uh-huh. You know, like, I feel like if it was made today, there's, there'd be a lot more, like, drawing out of the conspiracy stuff. Right. Which I think would not be, and I think, like John Carpenter was very smart because it's like at the end he's like, oh yeah, I'm going to show you everything in a quick scene. Here's how it all works. <laughs> you know, there's no like we have to find the guy who first found the aliens or find out about like their master structure. And I guess right, that. but at the you know, and at the and at the same time, Carpenter's always been very good about kind of a slow build. Yeah. In uh, in his storytelling, which I always appreciated. Um, but yeah, and also at the end, there's, I mean, it's not a happy ending. Yeah, I know. Um, I, you know, uh, but because you don't know where it's, you don't know where it's going to go after that. So yeah. people can recognize the aliens. So yeah. is that going to change anything? Yeah, it's true. And it's especially not a happy ending for one lady in it. <laughs> <laughs> that lady is actually the last frame in the Nelson cartoon version. I just noticed that. He oh, ends really? on the same frame. Yeah. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, the, that's a nice nod. Yeah, the cartoon version is it was pretty funny because it's like very uh, it's very horny, like all the uh-huh, women yeah. like really like curvy and that that was, I was like that's not in the movie at all. <laughs> but yeah. um, yeah, I was I mean it's what's interesting you said like it that that the the, the t- his deliberate storytelling. Cause the thing that struck me about rewatching They Live this time, first of all, you're you're correct in that. It's like a half an hour before he gets right. the glasses, and I think like 45 minutes before like the chewing gum stuff and everything. But, right. But it's like the second one of the finest lines from 80s cinema, by the way. Absolutely. I have come here to chew bubble gum and kick ass, and I'm all out of bubble gum. Oh shit! Oh. He's like the second that he gets the the glasses. There's no like, oh, I have to investigate. I have to find out more about this. There's no drips uh-huh. and drabs of information. It's like he just like instantly has a shotgun and is shooting yeah. people up in yeah. the bank. Yeah, that's the thing. It's not, everyone gets caught up in the whole you know critique of ideology part of it. But what about the militant politics that, that like you say, that follows immediately? He just starts blowing yeah. people away. And then yeah. they go to the cell meeting, and the first thing that someone says is, "Now we start spilling some blood." Yeah. Right. You know, and that, and that, in a way, is, is you know, you go back to the original story, yeah. because what does he do when uh, when Nada in uh, in uh, you know Nelson's story figures out what's he going what's going on? 
the first thing he does is he goes out and he bashes uh, he bashes an alien over the head with a brick. Then yeah. he slits you know slits another's throat. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Which is yeah, and it's really interesting. Like it's um, like night and day escalation of violence, which is yeah. it's bracing and fun. But it's also like if it's this movie that we're interpreting with so much you know ideology and and whatever, it seems like that that's a crazy thing. Uh-huh. Two things to be in the same movie, it feels like. <laughs> yeah, it's got a kind of, um, I mean, the attitude is like you know, more, I was going to kind of compare it to the end of uh, Repo Man, where he's like, fuck that, and he gets in the car. Right. It kind of ends with Roddy Roddy Piper giving the finger to the helicopter. <laughs> Something uh-huh. similar in those, but I think uh, They Live is much more like aggressively punk than even Repo Man was. Yeah. You know, yeah. Sort of like at other end of the decade, kind of coda to L.A., um, they live kind of pounds harder. Yeah. yeah. Does this movie feel like an '80s movie to you, Jim? Um, no. Uh, <laughs> it uh, it it really doesn't. I mean, it it was, I think, in many ways, a recap of the '80s. Yeah. Of what happened in the '80s. Um, but again, and there are you know there are there uh. There are a lot of. I mean, you you get a shot of the of the Reagan alien on the on the TV. Yeah. You know, Roddy Piper says, "You know, I knew it." <laughs> um, uh, yeah, the morning but, in America speech. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but uh, but again, I think just it's it's open enough yeah. that it can be interpreted and reinterpreted. You know, for for each successive generation. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it has all the hallmarks. You know, the, just the just the visual aesthetic hallmarks of the '80s, but it doesn't feel like one to me. Yeah, I, I, it kind of has that like '70s bummer vibe more than uh-huh. '80s blockbuster thing. Is that right? I got a question for you guys on yeah. a related point. How does the movie work or not work, or feel much more like an '80s movie if he had gone you know, casting Kurt Russell? Oh God, is that is that true? Oh, yeah, I he's hadn't heard that. Kurt. He changed his mind pretty late in the process because he's like, shit, I've used Russell for too many movies. And um, he saw WrestleMania 3 and was like, I like this guy. Somehow he took uh-huh. better. I think he's yeah. totally right. I think yeah. Kurt Russell's the lead is completely different legacy. Yeah. Because, you know what? I think if uh, if he'd gone, I, know, I, hadn't, I hadn't heard that myself. But yeah, he'd pretty much used Kurt Russell in a whole lot of things. Um, yeah. But uh, I think if he'd gone that way, uh, well, one, we wouldn't have had the big fight scene. Yeah. Um, or it certainly wouldn't have been the same. Yeah. Um, we wouldn't have had the bubblegum line because yeah. that came from Roddy Piper. Um, yeah, it would have been it would have been very different. And I think uh, maybe Kurt Russell, because he's you know, a professional actor and stuff, like in a way that, like I think Piper plays it so straight, you know? Yeah. And Kurt Russell would have had enough confidence and... Uh, experience to maybe remove himself from the material in a way uh-huh. play it kind of like camp or insincerely you know <laughs> right you know like he like in big trouble in little china where he's doing like a, a piss take on fucking john wayne like uh-huh. maybe he would have done something like that like oh let's see how i can do like uh like some some way of paradise par- parroting like heroes you know uh-huh yeah because because you know you see you see uh, Piper at the beginning, yeah. with his with his bag full of tools, walking down the street. Yeah. I mean, you believe it. Yeah. I mean, even if you've seen him wrestling for the last fifteen years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
I think it's helpful that this sounds, and it sounds glib, but I think the mullet helps a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cause there are two things. Cause first of all, he, he didn't really have the mullet when he was like WrestleMania, like super famous wrestler. Uh-huh. Yeah. You know, secondly, it's like, um, that feels so like, um, America to me, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. like it, it, he's, it seems like iconic. Yeah. Like the way that I was saying, like the glib thing was like, oh, this is like the way Trump voters see themselves in a way. They see him as uh-huh. this man, like in a work, you know, working man. You know, exactly. This, yeah. He's the perfect every man, even though he's a lot more jacked than most people. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. The shirtless scene was very, um, was striking. Yeah. Yeah. Adam, yeah. I don't think, go ahead. Oh, no. Wait, what are you going to say? On the subject of Piper, I don't think we can completely um, avoid this, so maybe just get it out of the way. Can, yeah. can you tell the story of meeting Roddy Roddy Piper and, and the conversation you had with him? Uh, sure. Uh, I interviewed Roddy Roddy Piper in like 2007, 2008, and it was he had just put out his autobiography, and he was uh, at first very like, I don't know, somehow, something got fucked up and he was mad at me, but he warmed to me over the course of the conversation. Like I asked him one question, and he completely lost his train of thought, and he said, and that's how I got my name. I'm sorry, kid, what was the question? <laughs> <laughs> and it was one of the best interactions I ever had in an interview, and I, I cherish that so much. By Better the other than being thing, called Knucklehead by, by Don Rickles? Yeah, that was great. I mean, fuck it, when Hunter Thompson called me a dummy, and when uh, Don Rickles <laughs> fucking called me a knucklehead, or no, he called a hockey buck, yeah, and then... then Roddy Roddy Piper punchily completely lost his train of thought and said, what was the question again, kid? Those are probably the three best interview moments. But um, I do have like a kind of a scandal gossip thing from that that I didn't put in the interview, which um, I'll share now, which maybe his estate might sue me about, but fuck mm-hmm. him. Uh, so I asked him about Mr. T, because Mr. T is like in those wrestling shows and, and um I just kind of was expecting some pop culture, whatever, you know. And Roddy Roddy Piper instead said, instead of like soft and friendly pop culture, said, well, you know, there are black people and then there are, you know. (laughs) And then he said, well, Mr. T is a fucking boop. And and it was amazing because I was like, you don't think of anybody thinking of Mr. T like that. Yeah. Out of nowhere. Yeah. So that was that, so. Yeah, he he dropped a huge end bomb in the middle of my interview, but then he said, uh, "Oh, you can clean that up, right?" Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> and you did. I did, yeah, because I put it on. I put it on Freezer Box, the site that uh, Alex and our friend Cedric ran. And I was like, "We got. We don't have a lawyer, you know." So uh-huh. they wanted to come out of the woodwork. And now the truth is is out and on record. <laughs> yeah, now it's out and on record. Yeah, I'm doing it now. I'm being brave. Now which is kind said. of a which is kind of a kill your idols thing in the context of they live because like I was saying earlier, it's such a weirdly rare and refreshing picture of not just like multiracial like friendship, but also like underclass, you know, working people. Uh-huh friendship the you know the camp um right you know actually showing solidarity and kindness among poor people and, and not just showing them for two seconds but having the story revolve around people living in a shanty town under the, you know, yeah sort of, right well, um to, well, to be 100 percent fair to roddy pop to mr piper uh r.i.p but i don't think i don't think he was really i don't think that's evidence of him being like a super racist sure, guy sure, sure, i think sure. no he just he just dealt with you know mr t yeah <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, I think he's just a man of his generation. That was just, you know, how he saw the world. You know, he's uh, I don't see him as like a super racist because of that. I think, uh, I think it's I think it's hilarious. Well, the uh, well the the the, the neo Nazis who latch onto this film and listen to your podcast. <laughs> Big overlap, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm you, yeah, I'm huge on. <laughs> yeah, no, the um, yeah, I don't know. It's tough because, uh, yeah, the movie, I, you're right. Like I, and I wonder watching it if I fall into a trap. If I want to, if I want it to be this one thing, uh-huh. and if I am putting too much of my own, what I want it to be. If that's I'm making that into this movie, you know. Well, I think that's I think that's just the. Uh, that's just the nature of dealing with film or you know music or paintings or writing or anything. Yeah. We bring we we bring to these things what we have and what we need and interpret them, you know, in those Yeah. But I do think aside from the carpenter itself, where he basically said what it means, like it's pretty I mean, rarely do you have uh, you know, the message put on a Billboard in black and white in all caps. Like, yeah. there's not that much room for interpretation. I don't think. Right. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> yeah. I think that consume and like this is your god stuff is. Yeah. I, I don't know if it. Like, it's pretty. That's just straight up anti-capital. I think. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. But I guess there's another twist there because if you're a neo-Nazi kind of guy, it's like, oh yeah, because the capitalists are Jews. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, the really, capitalists are, are really socialist. Like in the Mormon radical scene, you've got these guys. I mean, you can loop it out in any directions, but if, if you're just kind of taking it at face value, at least the first layer, which yeah. is what Carpenters was trying to do, is spelled out for the. It's pretty quick. Yeah. I mean, one thing. This is just a completely banal point, but uh, but the first scene where where uh, he puts on the where he puts on the glass and. Yeah. And you see the street in front of him change from this yeah. kind of shabby, you know, uh, street to this uh, um, beautiful, beautiful piece of cinematography. Yeah, uh, I mean, I love that. I love that scene. That scene so much. Yeah, yeah, it's wonderful. Yeah. And my one, the only reason why I would ever want to see this revisited uh, would be. Would be just to. I, I think it'd be great if, like, from that point on in the movie, the whole movie was in that world. Uh-huh. You know? Almost like Repo Man, I guess. Again, with all the generic products and things. Right. Yeah. Like, there's some interesting connections there. The, the feel of the two films both kind of hit some of the same. Right. Um, yeah. I think it's an anti-consumerist message, and like the part where he goes into the store, which is. Um, like, it's like what does he say to the lady? Like, it's like putting perfume on a pig. Or he goes like it, yeah he just becomes like Don Rickles out of his <laughs> he puts on the glasses like no hey you're okay but you you're real ugly I go it's great yeah uh, but then he later says it's like he describes it as like being a like a drug which is interesting too it hurts yeah it hurts which uh... <laughs> it's painful to to have the glasses on and to have to think about this and that's why the guy who's sitting in the easy boy chair. The lazy boy in the camp at the beginning is like, "Shut this off! I can't take it." Like they don't mm-hmm. want to. When the when the signal gets interrupted, everyone is resisting it a lot. Right. And, he, and even when he accedes to it, he he finds he can't really live in that world for too long. Yeah. Uh, well, that and that goes back to what uh, uh, Zizek was saying about the fight scene. I mean, trying yeah. to force uh, 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 you know someone to put on to put on the glasses. 
Yeah. You know, the uh, and the violence it takes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And yeah, because it's like any. I think any person is connected to some kind of point of view. You know, whether it's some kind of philosophy or something like QAnon or any anything. You know, and you're trying to convince somebody, like your friend, who's just a normal person, of that. So, uh-huh. Like, they're going to always be incredibly resistant. And yeah, it's like this uh, dramatization of that struggle to convince somebody to get out of their sure. you know, everyday head. Right. You know the, the the QAnon thing is 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 still another is a is an interesting interpretation uh, for for this day and this day and age. I mean, completely you know uh, uh, opposite of what Carpenter was after, certainly. Yeah. But, uh, but but still, the idea is that they believe they're you know seeing deeper into what's really going on. Yeah. 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 I'm sure, I haven't really delved into that world, but I. Not oh, it's scary! All. Scary! It's a scary and funny world. Are there they live memes in it? I'm sure there are. Um, I'm sure there are. I haven't. Uh, I haven't encountered any. But uh. well, I told because yeah, the thing about they live is that it's not 100 percent clear, at least to me, like what the aliens want from us. Right. Yeah. I mean, right. He, there's a couple in the script. There's a couple, couple intimations of it, like uh, something about the climate. They're climatizing, or am I confusing right. the story and resources no. keeping us asleep so they can basically drain the planet of its resources? They explicitly say the the um, that the warming the the they're warming right. the planet, which again very, feels very pressing for 1988. Well, that was right when they had the first global climate. I mean, it was kind of in the news then for the first time. Uh, maybe. Yeah, I mean, I, they're. I mean. I mean, there have been a lot of there have been a lot of films that dealt with uh, with climate change prior to that. I mean, okay. pop films that dealt with climate change prior to that. But I, I think, uh, but I think you're Alex. Uh, Alex, I think you're right that uh, that it was right around that time that it was really becoming much more mainstream. You know, people were people were starting to become aware of it. But yeah, I think the the general point was they were keeping us suppressed and um, you know diverted by television. And passive to um, basically um, extract uh, resources in some way right. from, from us and take them back to their other dimensional planet. Yeah, I, but it's not like um, I keep thinking of like uh, V, you know, the the, the kind of contemporaneous science fiction right. mini series where like the aliens is that like they just want to eat TV, right? In that in V thing. I don't I remember it. Yeah. I I no, I remember it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And it seems like those, like, those, the, and they live kind of take up the same space in my mind, and I don't know if that's quite correct. And, and, and another one from around the same time that I would need to go back and, and watch again before I say anything is Alien Nation. Oh, yeah. Uh, is that good? I'm so sorry? Is that is that is that a good movie? I, I feel like it's such a I, I, you know what? The fact that I need to go back and watch it again. Yeah. Um, tells me that it probably wasn't. <laughs> so it's like, did you ever see District Nine, Jim? Yeah. Yeah, it's just similar, right? Sure. It seems like um, I don't know, but yeah, uh, it's more like it's like whereas District Nine is more like a um, apartheid allegory. Right. It's more about like assimilation, I guess, and alienation. Right. But uh, the other thing like about watching. They live recently was like all the stuff about like when they're well the homeless people all seem so nice. 
<laughs> yeah, there were no really, there were no really crazy angry. I mean, well, angry, yes. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, it's not like volatile, like mentally ill homeless person. It's like, mm. you know, like you know, trying to stab people. But yeah, it seemed like this warm community. And then you see their, their encampment get bulldozed over. And, and I thought that scene was really good. That scene hit me in a way that it hadn't, I think, when I watched this movie as a teenager. Right. Yeah, and you know, and that's still and that's still happening today. Yeah, and that's why I was thinking of it. You know, just like reading about like homeless encampments in Los Angeles. I, I, I right. Think. Yeah. Rodney King was shortly after this depiction of LAPD came out, yeah. right? More or less, and it's a pretty brutal depiction of the police who have a pretty major role in it. I was um, I was going to bring up I was going to bring up uh, uh, the depiction of the cops. Yeah. Yeah. Talk about that, Jim. Um. No. Just. Uh, uh, you know, that, that these cops are just these, you know, these, these brutal alien pawns. Yeah. Um, uh, that's about as far as I'm going to go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and, I mean, I think he shoots like three of them in that, that it, daytime. In the, in the one scene, and then, and then, I don't know, he, then he lets the one human one go. And the one yeah. human one, I mean, just seems scared to death. Yeah. Yeah, it's weird, like, the, and the, 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 the the scene where he sees the aliens for the first time, I, I think that's the part that really that resonates the most with me. And it's the part that it's very it's very interesting to pick, it's fun to pick apart because it seems like you know you have like the, the two bitchy alien ladies complaining about food, uh-huh. you know? and then you have like uh, the the office worker guy's human complaining to his friend and his alien friend, and the aliens like. Hey, don't worry about it. You'll be fine. And it's so it's sort yeah. of like this. I don't, it's it's, it's kind of like if you're annoyed by these people to begin with. Yeah. You know, if you're annoyed by kind of chattering, like uh-huh. you, know, yeah. you know, whatever, or if people are kind of puff you up and just be like, oh no, you'll be fine. Like whatever. Uh-huh. Like it re- it's really gratifying to find out the <laughs> aliens. I feel like. Yeah, but that scene generally, a, a similar point is that it's just very rich and full of all kinds of Easter eggs. Like when yeah. he first puts them on and he's at the, the newsstand, the, the issue of golf magazine behind him, the cover story is let TV teach you yeah. a picture of a golfer. <laughs> and then yeah. there's a scene where the, the maid and the rich alien are getting in the car and the maid is like behind her daughter or something. And she has this like zoned out completely blank, like yeah. dead eyed stare that makes no sense in the context of anything other than that. She's working for this fucking in and she's mm-hmm. been sucked of all life and all these little, Things that, are, that go by pretty fast, but it's worth, I think, kind of pausing on on those scenes because everyone has something somewhere that is, is pretty easy to miss. Yeah, yeah, because like the two women who are talking about food, it's sort of I was like, yeah, it's sort of like um, I, I think when I first saw the movie, I was like, well, they're trying, they're pretending to be human, you know, like they're trying to talk the way human beings talk. Uh-huh. But I think there's something th- this time. I was like, no, there's this is the reason why human beings talk this way. Right. Because this is the alien language that they're sort of getting us to adopt. And, you know, it's sort of, they want us to care about these things that we, sh- that, that don't really matter, that are trivial. Does that make sense? You think that, that lands? Yeah. I mean, it makes, I mean, it makes sense to me. And also, uh, just that for someone who is outside that world, uh, listening to people, you know, I've, the way I've been listening 
to you know people for you know for however many decades, just as I walk down the streets or sit in bars. And you, you, if you're outside that world, you come to the conclusion that you know there's just something wrong with these people. Yeah. You know these people. These people really are alien. <laughs> yeah. And it's hard uh, not to think about that sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, like you know, we're again. I, I feel like I'm being glib over and over, but you feel alienated from the culture. Right. Right. I'm, so, I'm sorry about that, guys. <laughs> you forget it, man. It was look, uh, Adam. It was inevitable. It, it had to be. It, it had to be said. Yeah. Oh uh, man. One thing I meant to say when you were talking about the uh, the dinner scene at the end, that expository scene where they walk in and everything's just kind of explained. Um, yeah. I think. That might have, I was recently reading this book about, um, anti-monopoly politics and there's a chapter in the eighties in which, um, the author was describing a famous ball that was thrown throughout the eighties by, uh, Michael Milken, the junk bond king. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was called Predator's Ball. But here's the thing. Ooh. On the second night of Predator's Ball, and this brought together like finance, the most like predatory people in finance, media moguls like Ted Turner would go. They'd hire like, Madonna to come and like change her lyrics to make jokes about like poor people and stuff. I mean, it was just like psychotic Reaganism, like in in pure distilled form. And, uh, uh, on the second night of Predator's Ball, they had an extremely exclusive invite only, no press dinner, sit down dinner. Yeah. Um, and that was quote unquote the real party, you know, (laughs) the the, the brain candy joke. Uh And, um, yeah, yeah. It's like a page and a half description of that based on, you know, the little that's known about that dinner. And it, I think Carpenter could have been basing that scene on news reports of, uh-huh. of this thing, which happened every year that decade yeah. and brought together like the worst people in the world to basically <laughs> talk about how to extract value <laughs> from Earth for their yachts or whatever. Uh-huh. That's another point. That, that's another point where the movie, because I think, I don't know, the, the, I feel like sometimes the movie is so bluntly simple, especially right. that part. And it, it's like the, if you think about it, like the, there's no reason why that guy, the bum who was watching TV in the beginning of the, who got the headache and really objected to the hackers, why he would show up in a tuxedo. Like he would have no value to the aliens, you know? He just like is going along with the program. And if everybody goes along with the aliens program, gets rewarded, then, then, then there's no inequality. You know, then everybody could be like, oh yeah, sure. Aliens are great. We just have to make that decision. We just have to mm-hmm. say yes, and we get to wear a tuxedo and drink champagne. But, you know, but it's like, that is a trifling detail. You know, like, it's like that, it's like not, the reason that it's simple, blunt storytelling is so that it doesn't, the movie doesn't want you to get hung up on that. Like, I think there's like a, I think it's like, I don't know, like, it, it wants to have this central message. It doesn't want to get, like, cluttered up. With I think stuff. that's an important point. That's a huge yeah, point for me. You do. collaborator. Okay. We, can, we can collaborate if we want. Like, okay. once you realize they're able. Right. And those, and those people who collaborate, things work out for them, you know? Yeah. And he, just because he knows and goes along, he gets it, just for being a collaborator. Yeah. yeah. Rewards. Yeah. Okay. Rewarded for choosing the path of least. And that's the whole society is built around that choice, yeah. really. And everything encourages you, you to make it. Right. Um, and those messages are just never ceasing. Right. You know, because because uh, you have you have you know uh, uh, Piper talking at the beginning about well you know if I just work hard yeah um, then the, you know believes in the American dream if I work hard and do my job and, you know things will be okay. No, <laughs> <laughs> it won't be. Yeah. 
Yeah. And Frank, what's interesting is Frank is trying to radicalize him in those early yeah. scenes. Kind of. Uh-huh. It's, like, it's like there's a middle ground, like he's the reformist kind of. What does right. he represent exactly? I don't know. But he's the one trying to open um, Nada's eyes to the fact that that's an illusion. Yeah. Um, but whatever right. he thinks is really happening is not is not nearly radical. Right. And it's, yeah, so then it becomes even becomes stranger that he won't put on the glasses too. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. The the glasses fight scene. I think when I first saw this movie, I I hated it, which uh-huh. is a weird a weird thing to say. I, I don't think... know, we, it, no, 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 no. I'm with you because the first time I I saw it, I was like, wow, this is just a kind of a wasted. This is a you know a, a an any which way but loose scene. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> They're all wrestling moves. Uh, yeah. It, yeah. You know, it, it just wastes like 10 minutes of this movie. Yeah. But, but later, you know, I came to love it. Yeah. Well, yeah, I think it's, it, it, it's truthful. <laughs> like it wants yeah. to be the allegory of it. Like it's real. Yeah. It's hard to convince people of a deeply held position that's going to, uh, negatively impact their lives, I suppose. And they worked on that scene for three months. No shit. Really? Three months they they worked out the things in Carpenter's backyard. <laughs> you think Piper would be able to get it down pretty quick? It must have been. I uh, know, Frank. being a professional wrestler and all. Yeah, uh, maybe you're squeamish about working with a boop. <laughs> no, no. You're definitely getting a letter from the estate, man. <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna come in plaid letterhead. Yeah, <laughs> Jim, do you think that? Like and that Carp- I think this is alone in in John Carpenter's body of work for being a movie that at least seems like it has a mess. Do you think that's true? Um, you know, I've thought about that. And the thing is, if you wanted to, yeah. if you wanted to, you can go back at least in the early years. No, I'm not even going to say that. I'm going yeah. to say it in the um, you can inflict uh, a political message on. Um, Pretty much all of us. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, uh, from the, you know, the the nihilism of uh, Escape from New York, or the paranoia of uh, the thing. Um, but uh, this one was more, certainly more overt. Yeah. Uh, this one was more blunt and obvious than anything else he had ever done. Yeah. And anything since, I think. Yeah. Yeah. It was towards the end of his career, pretty much. I mean, it was kind of well, like a, almost a goodbye. He drops that self-reference in the end of the Cisco Liebert show and the middle finger in the last shot. Uh, um, I mean, there was certainly that. He, I mean, he went out and make a lot. He, he made on several more things, you know, through the 90s. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, they didn't do very well. Yeah. I think this was this was the last this was the last thing certainly at the end of his uh, of his first big run. Yeah. Um, but did the budgets get bigger and bigger after this, or was this a crest of his kind of? It was well, the the, the movies stopped making money. Yeah. Um, after this, this one did not do very well. Yeah. Uh, as I as I ended, I mean the, I mean Christine and Starman, Trouble in Little China, three movies I. Not a big fan. Yeah. Um, but then, but then after that, yeah, people just kind of started ignoring him. Yeah. Um, and I don't want to make any draw any connections between you know <laughs> this being this being the last thing and people ignoring him. Yeah. But uh, 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 so you know, I'm not sure. You, you know, it could have been it could have been him. You know, giving the finger to 
you know, the Reagan, the, the Reagan years, um, and also, you know, also maybe the way he'd been treated in the, uh, in the, in the media. I mean, I do love that. I do love that Siskel and Ebert. What's the Siskel and Ebert scene? I must have missed it. Do they do like Siskel and Ebert as aliens? Yeah. Oh, I miss that. Fuck. Yeah. But they're criticizing John Carpenter in the scene. Right. Oh, really? How'd I miss that? All right, I gotta go back now. I, I watch, I kinda, I watch it late at night. It's cause you were uh, anticipating the booby scene, which comes right up. Right, oh. exactly. Oh, okay, yeah. It's like that's, the second to last thing. That's one of the greatest endings to a movie, I think, anything ever. That's Ray Nelson's last frame in the cartoon. He, that's the greatest homage to actually uh-huh. the last. <laughs> all right, all right. Well, uh, well, guys, I don't want to take up too much of your time. I mean, if we want to keep talking, we can keep talking. We've talked for an hour. It's more than more than uh, enough for me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what do you think? What do we miss? What do we miss, Jeff? What do we miss? I'm trying to. I'm. I'm thinking my. I uh, my my list of of uh, of pithy, of pithy <laughs> and insightful notes here yeah. that I've uh, neglected to uh, open thanks to my the various uh, technological uh, uh, meltdowns here. But I think we I think we covered a good deal. That's great. Yeah, yeah. I was so I, I really enjoyed watching. It's kind of like uh, again, I don't know if I'm bringing my lived experience too much to it, but it feels like a perfect pandemic. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. You know, it's 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 funny when I when I think back over uh, uh, just Carpenter's career, this yeah. one is at the top of the list yeah. for me. Uh, and remains so again because it uh uh it just never gets old yeah um you know there's always there's always some bullshit on it this film completely relevant yeah and then the other one i mean he didn't direct he produced and he wrote the script is uh is halloween three so yeah. like those 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 two are at the top of must end the thing really halloween three because that's generally pretty derided oh is yeah, of course, it's generally pretty derided by assholes yeah. and fools. <laughs> it's also great, a lot great, of... great, great movie directed yeah. by uh, 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 Tommy Lee Wallace. Okay, I, I love that movie, but it's, uh, yeah, it's chock full of anti-Irish racism. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it also has Irish robots in it. So That's what do you true. want? <laughs> Did anyone have any thoughts on the soundtrack that he composed? Uh, I I thought oh for they live mm. yeah I was watching that on headphones and I was stunned by how good the soundtrack was it was just in terms of his use of sound like the, when the the mm. the bulldozer scene um like he brings in it's like a drum machine and synthesizers and stuff oh mm-hmm. you know what? this is maybe neither of you guys will care about this but uh I was if you go to John Carpenter's official site uh he lists all the synthesizers he uses and the effects. Uh-huh. Like he just wants it's the it's the nerdiest fucking thing. It's so good. But um, I, and, and yeah, I was like, oh, he used a Korg on this. That's amazing. But uh, yeah, he's like does this like drum machine thing where he just like brings in and out these um little like irritating little sounds. And at, you know, at first I was just like, why do I feel on edge? And then I'm like, oh, it's because of that. Just like a single and going away. And yeah, little touches like that. Like it's not the iconic score of Halloween or something like that, but uh-huh. I loved. Yeah, I love this music, and also yeah, the blues stuff at the beginning is great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. His, no, his soundtracks. I, I'm, I'm surprised his soundtracks have always been so good. Yeah. Um, and I know that's what he's doing these days is touring with that. Oh really? Uh, 
Yeah, that's that's what he's been doing for the last couple of years. I, I, hmm. I've heard a live broadcast of his uh, of the first show. I think it was in Spain. Yeah, where uh, where he's uh, where he's just touring and playing, uh, you know, with a band, with his kid, with his son, huh. and playing uh, and playing soundtracks. Yeah, which is a which is a wonderful thing because he's just so fed up with the uh, with, you know with the film industry. He's yeah. uh, switched to the the much less corrupt. Uh, music industry. Yeah, it's fun to, to read like interviews with him because people keep you know calling him up like, "Well, it's the thirtieth anniversary of your classic films," uh-huh. and he just doesn't give a shit. Yeah, like, he just is like just wants to get off the call. It seems there was uh-huh. like one Q and A where towards the end he's like, "Hey, I gotta go. My drug dealer's meeting me in a couple minutes." Uh-huh. And then like the guy's like, "What?" And he's like, "No, I'm kidding." And I was like, "Not kidding. You really want to go buy weed?" Huh? <laughs> Yeah, he doesn't want to play ball. It's fun, but yeah, he just seems yeah, he seems like pretty um, dispirited by yeah. Oh, completely. I mean, maybe you know the 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 idea is like, well, where the fuck were you thirty years ago? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, what's who the the Pan's Labyrinth guy? What's his um, uh Del Toro? Yeah, I guess that he was trying to champion like old John Carpenter movies, and, uh-huh. and I think Carpenter was like, well, what good does that do? Yeah, <laughs> it's interesting. But I, I think of this as the movie that I don't know. I feel like it's the one where he's, he he revealed the most about himself. I feel yeah, like, yeah. Does that sound right? That sounds that sounds about right. It was interesting that uh, he um, that in the film he's yeah. the one he you hear his voice as the uh, uh, over the over the loudspeakers just repeating sleep. Yeah, sleep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. It's also interesting that the whole the whole movie is about um, the narcoleptic effects of media. Yeah. Case, you know, he's a master of manipulating media. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. You're totally. You're absolutely right. That's mm-hmm. all right, guys. Well, um, I don't know. Is it Miller time? Time to hang it up. Miller time. I haven't uh, enjoyed oh, the audio I thought, game. Wait, I thought Miller time started two hours ago. I'm <laughs> sorry. <laughs> it should have. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah. It, Jim, it's so good to talk to you, man. Yeah, it's been such a pleasure to talk to you again. Yeah. And Alex, you know, always a pleasure. Likewise, yeah. man. Jim, is, let me know if you'd uh, ever consent to come back on the podcast. I'd love to have oh, you. Oh, you know I will. Oh, uh, that's so great. Uh, you know you. I will. Thank you. Yeah, but I got, yeah, it's a pro forma question. i got to ask. Yeah. <laughs> All right, fellas, I'll let you go. Thank you so much. Okay. Bye. Right. Ciao, everyone. You guys.